0: Well, good morning. Uh, It's right at this point in time when you're looking up here going, what's he doing up there? (laughs) Uh, So just just so you uh, are sure and and remember that Pastor Tom is here, and uh, Pastor Andrew is also here, so they're not both sick, and they're not both out of town. (laughs) Uh, I'm here legit, all right? So... My name is Alan, I've been here on staff for 12 years, and it is my joy to bring to you God's word this morning, Uh, and it is maybe not normal for me to be here, but I'm going to have a good time doing this. So dive with me into the book of 2 Corinthians, but before we do together, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love for us. Now God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each one of our hearts be pleasing and honoring to you. It's in your name we pray, God. Amen. All right, so uh, do you remember what it was like to be in middle school? So I I have a picture here. This is me in seventh grade. (laughs) Not a bad-looking guy. I think that's on the church bus on the way to some sort of event, and my hair is a little reminiscent of Andrew Jones, but, you know... I knew I wanted to be like him at some juncture. I I don't remember a lot about middle school in the specifics. I remember a lot of general things, but not a lot of specifics. I do remember, though, that as a freshman in high school, I wrestled at 132 pounds. It's been a long time since I was 132 pounds. I also know that in my neighborhood growing up, everybody called me Big Al because I was little. I definitely know those days are long gone and I know that I've been changed and I am changing. Do you remember when you had hair? (laughs) Do you remember when you were uh, maybe 50 pounds lighter? Do you remember what it was like to be able to see without glasses? (laughs) Uh, For some of you, maybe not because you got glasses when you were little. For others of us, the glasses thing started coming when you hit about 40. (laughs) You know, if something happens, you just kind of go, you know, and now I have three pairs of prescription sunglasses or prescription glasses, sunglasses, a pair to see things far away and a pair of things to see things close. It's kind of (laughs) silly, but I'm reminded that my life and my body is changing. Now I don't think that sometimes the change that happens to us is big. Uh, Sometimes it's pretty small. You know, it's not like Tom Hanks in the movie Big. If you were around in the mid-80s and you remember that movie, he was a middle school kid and he made a wish because he wanted to be big and he went to bed and he woke up the next day and he was a 30-year-old. That's not what generally happens. Over time, we see small changes, And we see them maybe with a little too much clarity. (laughs) Change is inevitable. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's really hard. But no matter what kind of change it is, the reality is we are all changing. Students know this. They live into it every single day. Middle school students are changing faster right now than at any other time in their history except the first year of life. Those years after uh, puberty hits, you just change. You grow taller, your voice goes lower, you know, everything's happening, and you are really aware of all that's going on. And frankly, sometimes you just wish it would stop. As adults, we often don't really even notice that we're changing. But we are. It's inevitable. Over time, we could call this change change transformation. We have been transformed from one thing to another. And as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today, what I want us to see is we have been changed. We are not who we once were. But at the same time, we need to also remember that we are still changing, and we are not who we will one day be. Now I showed you what I looked like in seventh grade. Here's a picture of what I will look like one day down the road. <laughs> okay, maybe not. So today's passage helps us to see how amazingly good God is and how He has changed us and continues to change into who He wants us to be. Well, if you're taking notes today, we're going to see that we are not only what we, we are not what we once were. We're going to see that by looking at four changes that have happened in our lives. But we're also going to suggest three actions that we can take to continue the hard work of changing, knowing that we are not what we will one day be. So four changes that we have already undergone uh, and knowing uh, that we are not who we once were. Number one, you were dead, but now you live. Have you ever wondered what it would have been like to be a person who was raised from the dead by Jesus? So think about Lazarus for a second. You know, I think about him in my kind of warped mind, and I think... Okay, I'm Lazarus. I've died. I'm in heaven. I'm walking around. I'm eating what I want to, you know, doing all the fun things. And I'm walking down the pearly streets and, you know, gone through the pearly gates. And everything's, you know, going really great. And then God kind of pulls me aside and says, ah, Lazarus, just kidding. Uh, Jesus is going to raise you from the dead in a couple of days. So I want you to kind of hang over here because you're going to have to go back to earth. I don't know about you, but for me, as I think about that, I'm thinking that would stink. (laughs) But Lazarus was raised back to life. Last week, Tom was teaching through uh, the book of Romans chapter 3. And in verse 23, we see that we are reminded that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory. And in chapter 6 of the book of Romans, verse 23, we see because of that sin, we deserve death. We are dead in our sin. And Romans 5, 8 makes it clear that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we were dead in our sin, and there was nothing we could do about it. So Jesus did something for us his death raised us from the dead, and now we live. So go back to Lazarus. You've just been raised from the dead, and yes, it would stink to have to leave heaven and come back to earth, okay? But once you're back, do you think you would see Jesus as God? Do you think you would see life a little different? Would your life be changed, and would you act like it had been changed? In verse 21 of our text, we see that Christ's death took our sin so that we did not have to die. This is one place where we get this doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Someone had to pay the penalty for our sin. This is a big, fancy word, substitutionary atonement. But it really simply means that Jesus took our place and he paid this debt for us. He became a substitute stood in our place, and took our punishment. We were dead in our sin, but because of Christ's death, we are alive. So what does this do to your heart? Like Lazarus coming back from the dead, you've been raised from the dead. How does it impact you? How does that change your life? A grateful heart is now directed toward living life the way that Christ demands. We no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us. First Corinthians chapter six and seven, Paul tells us that we are not our own. We were bought with a price, and this price was Jesus' life. So how can this change be seen in our own lives? We have to ask that question. How is this change seen in your life? Does it look like we've changed? Do we live like we were once dead, but now we're alive? I think many times as Christians, we think about this death-to-life change, and we think, oh, you know, it's easy to see in someone who maybe became a Christian a little bit later in life, and they had kind of a wow conversion, because you know, they lived a life that maybe was a little more exterior-looking, where you could look at them and say, wow, they have some issues. <laughs> And Jesus helped them clean those issues up. And sometimes we look at, at, at people like that and we say, that's really awesome. They've been, they were once dead and now they're alive. But when we look at our own lives, if you were maybe uh, one who came to Christ as a small child like I was, you go, well, what's changed? And I look at this and I think about how I measure my children as they've grown on the wall. You know, you put the little mark on the pencil mark on the wall and you put a date on there. No, I can't see my kids growing every day. Oh, they grew, you know, a micrometer or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, but over time, you see change in their life. You see them growing. And I think for those of us who have grown uh, up in the Lord, we might have to look a little more carefully. It may be some of the places in our heart that are not so easily seen by others. The selfishness, the potential lack of integrity or lack of honesty, or the anger issues. We have to see how much we've changed over the years. How has God been changing you? You once were dead, but now you're alive. You, were not, you are not who you once were. You have been changed. And the second change that we've undergone is that you were old, but now you're new. And this is verse 17 in our, our passage here, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And let me encourage you that if you have not underlined this verse in your Bible or highlighted it or put a box around it or something like that, you need to. Writing in your Bible is a good thing. It's not like a sin, Okay, so writing in here or memorizing this verse, this is one of the verses that you need to have in your heart. Let me read it again for you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, I love this verse, but I got to be honest. I don't always fully understand it. It's a hard verse to understand because I want to believe that this change is kind of a once and done sort of thing. I want to believe that the old is gone and the new is coming, voila. You know, I'm all set. I think that sometimes when I think about this verse, I think this old is gone, new is come is supposed to look something like this. You know what I don't understand? why if he's supposed to be like this super advanced robot does he transform back into this piece of crap come here oh see no get no that doesn't work see great now see fantastic that car is sensitive i mean four thousand dollars just drove off See, I'm not sure that's what this really means. <laughs> I think there's a mystery here. Okay, We have been changed. The old is gone and the new has come, but we are also still changing. We are seeing today that change is happening in our lives, and we are some, a, a creature that has been made new, but we also have a ways to go. We are not what we once were, but we are also not who we will one day be. When I think about these, this through the lens of the four-chapter story of God, if you not, are not familiar, our four banners on the back wall just help us to kind of remember this visually. When you get to chapter 3 of God's story, we see that God is about the business of restoring and making new. He is about the business of making things the way they can be. But we know that in the story of God, it doesn't really come to full completion until chapter 4. So we're being made new, but we're not done. We have a ways to go. So what does it mean to be a new creation? It means we stop believing the lies that Satan tells us and start living into the person that Christ has made us to be. Last week, Pastor Tom shared with us this thought from author David Tripp. The most influential person in your life is you. Because you're always talking to yourself. So what are you telling yourself? Are you believing the lies that Satan tells or the truth that Jesus tells? In the words of a deep and profound scholar, not C.S. Lewis, because I'm not Pastor Tom, so I don't quote C.S. Lewis. (laughs) This is hip-hop artist Lecrae. And he says this, you see, Satan uses guilt to strip away our hope. He shows us our mistakes and tells us we're a joke. I used to sit and mope like, what's the point in all? If I'm a Christian, how come every day I seem to fall? But I know that all my sins were nailed upon the cross. I found this in chapter 2 of the book of Colossians. The devil's a liar. Yeah, he's an accuser. He tells me I'm worthless. He says I'm a loser. But now I refuse to let him lead me wrong. Reading the word and the morning got me feeling strong. I found my worth in Christ and I'm pursuing truth. A living testimony so you can do it too. See, being a new creation means you believe the words of God. When he speaks about what a new creation means, he is speaking about you. And he has all sorts of great things to say about you. So listen to some of the words that God has to say about you. And I want you to take the I at the start of some of the, all the, these phrases and replace it with just your own name and see what God's word says about you. I am a son of God and one in Christ. I am an heir of God since I am a son of God. I am a saint I am God's workmanship, his handiwork, born anew in Christ to do his work. I am a fellow citizen with the rest of God's family. I am a prisoner of Christ. I am righteous and holy. I am a citizen of heaven. I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. I am a son of light and not of darkness. I am a holy partaker of the heavenly calling. I am a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. I am an enemy of the devil. I am a child of God. I am born of God, and the evil one, the devil, cannot touch me. This is what God says about you. The Bible is clear about what Jesus thinks of you as a new creation. Do you think the same thing, or do you listen to the lies that Satan tells you? You have been changed. You were dead, but now you live. You were once old, but now you're new. You were not who you once were. You've been changed. The third change we've undergone is that you were an enemy, but now you are a teammate. Let me read, uh, not just from uh, 2 Corinthians here, but in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says this, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. These verses in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 18 and 19 and here in Romans chapter 5 make it very clear that we were enemies of God because of our sin. We were in need of this thing called reconciliation. So what does that mean? It's kind of a big fancy word. What is it? Well at its core reconciliation is making right or replacing or repairing a broken relationship. So we first need to recognize that when Paul says we were reconciled, it implies that there was a problem needing to be fixed. There was a relationship that needed to be made right. And in this case, our sin causes us to be the enemies of God. And this is the relationship that needs to be fixed. Second, reconciliation is not a shallow or surface level term. It means we have dealt with the most root issue and not just the symptoms of the problem. It means we have gone to the heart of the matter and made things right. And in our case, our relationship is made right to the point where we are no longer enemies, but friends of God. We are teammates. In our passage, we we see this great little phrase, reconciled himself to us. That's another one that I think you should underline. Because God is the one who has done the work. Christ died to deal with our sin, the root problem of our struggle with God, that makes the reconciliation possible. The root problem has been taken care of. Yet the key is that we didn't do anything to be reconciled. Christ did the work for us. This is not something we can do but something that God has already done. We have been reconciled and God has done the work. Because of that, Jesus picks us to be on his team. This is kind of like, you know, going back in the first century when Jesus was uh, calling his disciples. And in the day, normally, the rabbi would walk walk along and the followers would say to the rabbi, hey, I want to be your follower. And the rabbi would look at the follower and say, are you good enough? You need to ask him, you know, all these questions to make sure that he was the kind of guy that he wanted to follow him. Jesus flips that all upside down and turns it on its head. He says to a bunch of ragtag people who had no measuring quality. I mean, they were not the kind of people that a normal rabbi picks. And Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. They didn't do anything. The reconciliation begins because Jesus took the initiative. He wants a right relationship with you, and he wants you on his team. Now, at the same time, I don't think what Paul is telling us is that we can just ignore our sin because Jesus paid the price for reconciliation. Okay? No, if reconciliation is going to happen, both parties need to want it. Jesus paid the price for it, but we still need to want to be reconciled. The reality is that sometimes we don't even feel a need for reconciliation. We often are not too worried about the sin and what it does to our relationship with God. We don't feel much like we are hostile toward God. We would much rather sweep our sin under the carpet and not deal with it and just hope it would go away. But 1 John 1, 1.9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants us on our team. All we got to do is join. You once were dead, but now you live. You once were old, but now you're new. You once were an enemy, but now you're a teammate. You are not who you once were. You've been changed. And the final change that you have already undergone Is that you were once alienated, but now you are an ambassador. At the end of verse 18, we are told that after Christ reconciles himself to us, he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. He gives us a job to do. And that job is to show the love of Christ that has been shown to us to the world around us. We have been forgiven, it is now our turn to forgive living into this ministry that God has laid out for us, I think depends on us living into verse 16 of this chapter. We no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. We see people through the eyes of God. This points back to Genesis chapter 1, that we were all made in the image of God. And when we see the people around us as people who are image bearers, as people who are made in God's image, it doesn't matter who they are or what they've done or what they continue to do or what they will do. They are made in God's image and they deserve to be shown this ministry of reconciliation, this ministry of bringing people into right relationship with God and man. This reframing of our view of the world and the people in it allows us to be concerned for them and give away what we have already received. And if we don't see the world and the people in it as God sees it, we will not accept this job offer. In verse 19 and 20, we have been given another job, and that is being made ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador is someone who lives in a foreign land while promoting and fighting for their own homeland. You are strangers in this world, but it's our job to promote our homeland. So maybe a little bit of a reality check here. Paul is not saying, hey, do you want to be an ambassador? He's saying you are an ambassador. So the logical follow-up question is, are you a good one? Brennan Manning, who is a priest and an author, once wrote, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. Everything we do and say points people either to or away from Christ, either makes us or a good or a not-so-good ambassador. How are you doing? You once were dead, but now you live. You once were old, but now you're new. You once were an enemy, but now you're a teammate. You once were alienated, but now you're an ambassador. You are not who you once were. You've been changed. So these four changes have already happened. We've seen that we are not who we once were because of these four changes. However, there's another part to the story. Change is still happening. It's still going on. And sometimes that change is really hard. True, we are not who we once were, but it's also true that we're not who we will one day be, and getting there is not always fun. And because of this, I want to give you three action steps that we can take knowing that we are not yet who we will one day be. But before we get there, I want to be transparent for a moment, and I want to call this spade a spade. See, as I see it and experience it, sometimes change is really easy. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it just happens. However, sometimes change is really hard. Sometimes we don't want to change. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we want to change and we can't. Sometimes it seems very elusive. Sometimes change is not always immediate or the way we want it to be. And sometimes we have legitimate questions But why it takes 20 years to change, or harder still, why it seems like I've never changed. So although I know that we have been changed, I also know more change is needed, and that change may not be always easy or fun. In fact, sometimes it's really hard. If you don't believe me, think about the date January 1st. It's coming up in just a few short weeks, and if you're like me, you will probably come up with some New Year's resolutions. But let's be honest how many of us will actually change as a result? (laughs) You know, I can't tell you how many times I put get in shape and eat fewer cookies on my New Year's resolution list. But you know what? I'm still not in shape, and I still eat way too many of Becky's cookies when they come out of the oven, especially when they're warm. I love butter come on. So sometimes we want to change and sometimes we do change, but sometimes we can't seem to get it done. Sometimes we know we need to change, but the reality is we just don't want to. I know I should eat my vegetables. You know, I know they're good for me. I I know I should set a good example for my kids, but I don't like vegetables, so I don't change. Author David Brooks, in a New York Times article entitled How People Change, reminds us that change is not always easy. And here's what he says. You can tell people that they're fat and that they shouldn't eat more French fries, but that doesn't mean that they'll stop. You can make all sorts of New Year's resolutions earnestly deciding to behave better, but that doesn't mean you will. People don't behave badly because they lack information about their shortcomings. They behave badly because they've fallen into patterns of destructive behavior from which they are unable to escape. The fact is, we like the stuff we do. If sin were not attractive, we would never want to sin. We can believe the facts that eating too many french fries will kill us, but if we like french fries... believing that they will eventually kill us may not make any difference. I know I should not eat six cookies when they're warm out of the oven, but I do it anyway. Change can be hard. Sometimes we need to remember that God's timing is not our timing. And although we want to change something, maybe he is not ready for us to change quite yet. Or maybe God knows that we will melt down if we change that thing that we want to change without first changing this thing over here that he needs us to change but we're not willing to deal with. You know, sometimes we find ourselves asking real, solid, good questions like, you know what? Why do new creations sometimes look like old creations? Or maybe just plain stating the obvious. Why do new why why don't I feel very alive? Why don't I feel particularly new? I'm hardly a teammate, and I really don't even want to be an ambassador. So the question is, is there any hope? You know, what can I grab onto? And the reality is there aren't very many easy answers, but there is an answer, and that answer is to deepen our faith and our life with Christ. And to do this, we find the change process a little more acceptable when we love our Savior in a more deep and complete way. So three action steps to help us grow and deepen our faith. The first is to believe God's word. Do you believe what God says about who you are? If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, the changes that we've talked about, these four changes, they don't really apply to you, okay? But the question here is still valid. Do you believe what God says about you? For you, do you believe you are dead in your sin, living an old way of life, an enemy and alienated from God? This is a start. If you believe these things, you can see the four changes that we've already talked about take place in your life. Your status can change by accepting this reality and turning your life over to Jesus. Now, if you've already turned your life to Christ, if your status has already changed, You can refer back to those four things and you know that you are a child of God. This is the same God that made the universe. Do you believe this? We need to begin with belief. It's a starting point we cannot skip. It's step one in a lot of recovery programs for a reason. We have to admit that we have a problem and that we need help. We have to believe what Jesus says. Once you turn your life over to Christ, the four changes we've already talked about can happen. They have happened. Do you believe this? Do you believe what God says about you? So, belief is the first step, but it's not the last. The second is remember God's plan. Remember, God's plan includes change. His plan includes change. He has been changing people since day one, and He will be changing you. You are a work in progress. Remember, change may not happen overnight. Sometimes it happens really slow. Are we working on our own timeline or on God's? We live in a microwave culture, but God does not live within the boundaries of time. Remember, we tend to want everything and we want it now. God does not always work that way. His timing is not our timing, but he has a plan and he loves you and he loves me. Remember God's plan. The third thing is that we need to begin to tell others. When you truly love something, you tell other people about it. And the changes that we've been talking about today really are the good news. They are the gospel. We have been reconciled to God. We have had our relationship with him restored and made new. And so can anyone who desires this. But someone needs to tell them about it. Tell others about the reconciliation they can have with God. Tell others about the reconciliation they can have with each other as a result of being made right with God. As Christians, we need to hear this too. We need to be about the business of forgiveness. We need to be about the business of, the business of making relationships new. We need to remember the importance of community and not allow relationships to remain broken and strained we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's a big deal. Well, the reality is we've been changed, and we are still changing. We are not who we once were, but we are also not who we will one day, one day be. The change we talked about today is both immediate, we have been changed from death to life, and it's a process. When we believe and remember the four chapter story of God and find hope in knowing that although the world is broken, although we are broken, there is hope. God has begun a ministry of reconciliation, of bringing us into right relationship with Himself, and He has given us that same ministry. We get to work alongside the Creator of the universe to bring about reconciliation in our world. Are you ready? Are you willing to participate? Are you willing to embrace the change? Are you willing to believe God's promises, to remember them, and to tell others about them? If you do, you'll find yourself living into them. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us the heart to believe your word, the will to remember your promises and the courage to join you in telling the world of your great love. Help us embrace the change that has happened in our lives and the change that is yet to come. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.